Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. I wish you'd give that to the Lord this evening. Would you do that? Oh, I believe he's worthy. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Oh, what a wonderful spirit of the Lord that is in this house on a Tuesday evening. Amen. Aren't you thankful for what you feel? Amen. I never will forget an elder minister many years ago uh, walked into a convenience store and uh, as, as, as plain spoken as he could be at times, it was somewhat embarrassing, but nonetheless truthful. And uh, he just turned to the lady behind the counter and said, good morning. And she said, what's so good about it? The elder minister just stopped in his tracks and turned around and said, when you miss one of them, young lady, you'll know. (laughs) Amen. So when I tell you this is good tonight, amen, all you have to do is go somewhere else for a while and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Amen. Would you meet me in the scripture this evening in the book of Matthew? As much as I delighted in what happened last night, uh, I so desperately wanted to preach. I really did. And uh, I understand that sometimes God just does what God does, and we can't, we can't, I don't want to stop it. I don't want to hinder it. Amen. I want to help it along. Amen. Did you receive a blessing last night? Amen. I was certainly encouraged by the visitation of the Holy Ghost, and I certainly pray for the Lord's anointing again this evening. Amen. I am thankful for the Word of God. It has certainly put structure into my life, and uh, I trust that it has to yours as well. Jesus said he gave seed to the sower. Man, how many of you want the Word of God? He gave seed to the sower, not to the electrician. Not to the doctor, not to the tax collector, not to the plumber, not to the carpenter. He gave seed to the one who was willing to sow it. Amen. You will never receive all of the revelation that God wants to give to you until you are willing to sow that to somebody. Amen. So if you're willing on tomorrow to sow what the word has spoken into your life tonight, he just replenishes that with more and more, and more, and more. Amen. I want to be a sower of the seed. Matthew chapter 19, verse number 16. And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. Jesus said, And he saith rather unto him, which Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, 
Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And the young man said unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And when his disciples heard it, when his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And I want to highlight verse 27. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? I want to speak to us tonight about the two attitudes of sacrifice. These two attitudes of sacrifice. Savior, we thank you for your great spirit that you have made evident in this house for the reception of your spirit that has come into this place and of your word for every soul here this evening. I pray again that not one of them should leave but what your hand has touched their life, that your word has directed them to give them direction for their path, and we'll be careful to praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. And everyone said amen. Amen. You can be seated. God bless you so much. The two attitudes of sacrifice. There's two different perspectives here that I want to deal with tonight and uh, one of them is found in this reading. I know it was somewhat lengthy but uh, it was the gist of this entire story so I needed to let you in on this and not leave you hanging. It was better just to read it to you than to give you the summation of it so I read it to you. Answered Peter, then answered Peter unto him. Peter spoke up. Now here is an object lesson that the Lord has arranged for his disciples to see. Uh, I am of the opinion that before the foundation of the world, God already knew exactly what was going to take place in his infinite wisdom, his inexhaustible insight. He already knew what was going to happen on this day at this hour when he designed this object lesson for his disciples. Now, this rich young ruler had come by, and, uh, and let, me, let me make a point. It is not a sin to uh, have an accruement of this world's goods. It's just a sin on where we place them on our list of priorities. And so that is the case that the Lord is addressing here into the life of this young man. And in his youthfulness, and I really believe this is his youthfulness that's speaking up, uh, I can tell you that... Uh, I can tell you I'm not the same man that I was at 19. Uh, I don't think like I did at 19, and rightly so. Uh, It is a very scriptural concept. The apostle said, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Amen. David said, my feet well nigh slipped at the prosperity of the wicked. But we are living in a generation and trying to have church over uh, a concept that is so contorted that people's feet well nigh slip at the prosperity of the righteous. Amen. 
So we have a sense here that I want to try to deal with that is reflected by the words and the response of Peter. As this young man is addressing the Lord, I want to know what I have to do to be saved. And the Lord began to rehearse the commandments. He only gets through six of them. And it's though the young man, and I know the scripture doesn't uh, verbatim say this, that the young man interrupted him. But I don't think that Jesus cut four of the commandments off. I think the young man cut them off. And he said, I have kept all of these from my youth up. His youthful arrogance took precedence at the moment. All of these have I kept from my youth up. So Jesus just cuts the chase. and Rather going through the other four, he said, but there's one thing that you need to address in your life. And that is one thing that you have placed between doing the work of God, the will of God, and the service of God, and yourself. And he said, now we need to address that. All that stuff, I want you to go amputate it, and then I want you to sell it, and I want you to come and follow me. And I, I'll just, Jesus didn't tell him that day, but I'm just of the opinion that he would tell him the way he did his other disciples, I'll make you to become fishers of men. And so here is a young man that goes away sorrowful, the Bible said, goes away sorrowful. That the one cardinal sin that we find in the life of this young man was the fact that he goes away. He becomes uninvolved. I want to try that again. The one cardinal sin that this young man commits that day is uninvolvement. Amen. It is not enough at times to know the will of God. It is not enough at times to be exposed to the preaching of the word of God, for this young man was. It is not enough at times to be in the company of God's people because this man was, but for a moment he was. It has in a, uh, upon us the responsibility of becoming involved with that. So everyone is standing behind Christ, observing the conversation that's going on here. And as the rich young man walks away, kicking his can down the road, Simon Peter, in all of his impetuous attitude, steps up and says, I've done all of this stuff. I've done everything you just told him to do. Now I want to know what's in it for me. Is that not what Simon Peter said? I've done everything that you just preached. I want to know what's in it for me. So here you see a man that seems to have been condemned by his uninvolvement. And then you see a man with his involvement condemning himself because of his sense of entitlement to what God is able to give to him. There is without a doubt, I stand emphatic before you this evening that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above anything I can ask or think. If I don't have it, it's because I can't think to ask of it. If I don't have it, I don't need it because he can do more than my imagination can conceive to ask him of in prayer. 
However, my friend, anything that God chooses to bless me with, whether it is salvation, whether it is healing, whether it is abundance of this world's goods, I do not have a sense of entitlement for those things. Every good thing cometh from the Father above, and it is his good pleasure to give it. It is his good pleasure to give it. Oh, hallelujah. I'm I'm trying to lay down my point and not get ahead of myself. Peter said, we have, behold. He said, behold. He said, look here. (laughs) We have forsaken all. We've left it all and we followed you. What have we there for? What do we have to show for our sacrifice? Now, here's an attitude that Peter has just exposed And I believe in the heart of Christ, he is saying, this is exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to expose something in this man so that I can correct it. I wanted to expose something in this individual so that I can fix it. You want to know why sometimes God brings things in our life? It is so that he can expose a part of us that we were completely oblivious to. We didn't even understand that we had the problem, but God wanted to expose it so that he could fix it. He wants to expose an attitude so he can correct the attitude. You want to know why things happen to you in your daily goings on? Why somebody vexes your spirit and rubs you the wrong way? Is so that perhaps he can expose a spirit within you that people have called road rage, just plain rude. And here's what I like, and I don't mean to step in the grounds of pastoring, but this is what I like. That's just the way I am. That's just my attitude. Friend, that's just rude is what that is. We don't have a right to treat anybody in, in, in a way that we don't expect to be treated. I just inserted that. Let me go back to Simon Peter. That God is trying to bring something out of him because he cannot allow this part of Peter to be in the ministry later on when he steps into the upper room tearing for the promise of the Holy Ghost. He wants to try to get something out on the table right now because you know why I love to see people repenting in the altar? It's because God is exposing a part of them that they understand needs fixing in their life. I, 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 don't, I don't mean to be crossing anybody's theology right now, but I have sat through those services where baptism was so pumped and primed and, and built up and, 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 pro- and propped up to where I, I saw 20, over 20 people baptized in one night that didn't even so much as slow down at an altar, much less kneel at it. You know how many of them are still serving God today in that particular assembly? Goose egg. You know why? It's because in that altar of repentance, God is wanting to expose a part of us and let us know that that's a part he don't want there. I need to fix that in you. And so God constructs in our life. He constructs in our life a time and a place and a season so that there is a, there is a, a special part of us that is exposed before God. And I believe the rich young ruler that came by that day that God is, is so orchestrated and before the creation of the world was for nobody else but for Simon Peter. 
I've left it all so that we can have everything. I have forsaken everything. Now, if Peter was here today, I'm sure the story would be different. I'm sure that he would stand, just like I've already mentioned to you, as I was, a changed man. I don't think the way I did before I got the Holy Ghost. I don't even think like I do after I got the Holy Ghost because God has been perfecting a mind in me. I'm not so rash as to call, pass judgment and point the finger of criticism now because I understand that these are individuals that God is trying to bring to a place in their life the way that he's tried to bring a place in my life. I would love to ask Simon Peter, what exactly is it that you forsook? Would you give us a whole litany of items, of things that had value to them that you walked away from? Was the mud hut worth the presence of Christ in your life? Was the little fishing boat that you thought was so valuable worth seeing the miracles that you've seen from Christ? Or the pile of fishing nets with holes in them that you were mending there that day. Do you think that had value when you put that beside seeing the teaching of Christ being affecting in the lives of men? Exactly what is it, Simon, that you walked away from? Exactly what is it that you have on your mind when you spoke to Christ and said, we have forsaken all and followed you. What's in it for me? I sat on the back, back porch of a gentleman several years ago and he began to tell me a whole list of why he deserved God to bless his children and bless his home and bless his bank account and bless and bless and bless and bless. And, bless. and I was in awe and I didn't have any words to tell him. He be- Excuse me, he began to tell us, tell me that day. He said, I get there early and I turn the lights on. I turn the air conditioner on. I have worked at the church. I have given to the church. As a matter of fact, his words to me in proportion to everybody else's income, I'm probably one of the top givers in the church. And so he was telling me all of these lists of reasons why God should bless and why God should heal and why God should deliver his children. Let me tell us something this evening. It doesn't matter what we have given. We cannot bring that pile of contributions before God and throw it down before him and demand retribution for that, demand remuneration for what we have given because when you compare it to the anointing of God, when you compare it to what you felt here last night, when you compare it to the time that he brought you to Calvary, when you compare it to the time when the wind of Pentecost blew into your life, it has no value. Oh, hallelujah to God. It has no value. This is an attitude that God is saying, I don't want in the upper room. There are some things that I'm going to fix in the upper room. There are some things that I'm going to change in the upper room. But if I can get it out of his heart now, the Holy Ghost can have a perfect work whenever he comes to the place of tearing. There's just something about that. Do you remember Do you remember the days that led up to your repentance? I very frankly do. 
there were things in my life that I began to remove and get out because I had plans. I was building up enough gumption to go to the altar that night. I was building up. It was a Friday night. We were having Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday services. And I was building it up for weeks before I ever went to the altar. And I tried to get my life right and get it all together. And I, I, I was able to remove some things and straighten up some stuff. But my friend, when I stumbled out of my personal upper room, I can tell you honestly the things that I loved I now hate. And the things I hated I now loved. We want to sit around and wait for God to do a miracle in our life when all the while it's an attitude that we can correct, that we can get rid of, that we can, that we can amputate. It was his attitude of sacrifice. God had a long way to bring Simon Peter from being the fisherman of fish to the fisherman of men. There was a long journey between Passover and Pentecost there was something there that showed back up at Passover. There was something there that cropped up again at the table when God was trying to explain to them that it's not going to be many more hours when what I came to do will be done. That there is a cross in my life. He was trying to explain to them that there is a Calvary in my life that there is a point, a place where it's going to look like it's the end, but actually it is the end not for me, not for righteousness, not for the kingdom, but it is an end to the enemy. It is an end to darkness that rules over the hearts and lives of men. I'm going to make a way of escape for them, and this is what I've came to do. And while God is telling them all of this, the scripture said they reason among themselves. Who should be the greatest? This thinking attitude cropped back up when God is trying to prepare them about what's to happen. I know it doesn't happen here. Brother Boyd, when, when I pastored, I saw such pettiness that went on among people. I'm talking about front row folks. Nothing against anybody here. I'm a front, I'm a front row guy. I sit on the front row. One night we had the lights low and, 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 and we were praying and, and, and well, and I was praying and uh, things, was, we was trying to get things going on and I could hear them, I could hear behind me, I could hear them squabbling. Sounded like a bunch of geese. And I was just, on the inside I was bowling. So I prayed louder and I prayed longer. And I stood up, it was getting about church time and I stood up and I turned around, and there's a man standing right there, and he said, did you show up here yesterday and fix that water heater? I hope we have a revival. I said, yes, yes. As a matter of fact, I did, yes. And the other gentleman from the second row bellered out, if you will shut up long enough, I'll tell you what was wrong with it. And so out the door they go. And I'm trying to have church. I was turning to my wife. I said, just play something and sing something and I'm going to preach something and we're going to have a good time. I thought, how crazy is this that we're trying to have church and people that allegedly have the baptism of the Holy Ghost that changes their way of thinking are squabbling over a water heater. 
And here we are in the scripture where men are sitting at a table exclusively for disciples that would hereafter become apostles and they're reasoning among themselves. I, I think I can preach better than you. Oh, absolutely not. I can play much better than you can play. Uh-uh-uh-uh. Did you see my anointing last time I preached? No, no, no. I preached revival. We had 25 people. And they're squabbling among themselves. I'm much better than you, and I'm much better than you, and I'm much better than you. And finally, Jesus said, one of you shall betray me. One of you that has his hand on the table with me shall betray me. I'm feeling the Holy Ghost right now. One of you shall betray me. And change how they were thinking. And now from saying, is, am I the greatest? They're saying, am I the one that he's talking about? That you do, do quickly. And Judas departed from the table. I can picture Jesus standing up and looking at the 11. And these are the words that hit home to me. He said, ye are they which have continued with me in my temptation. I didn't like the attitude. I didn't like the faults and the failures and the inadequacies and the insufficiencies and your mess ups. But there was something to Christ whenever he could say, you have stuck it out with me through the hard times. You have stuck it out with me through the hard times. I began to perceive differently men, and I knew from then on, God, I know they're going to fuss. I know they're going to get mad. I know they're going to have times that they're going to show a part, a nature, a personality, an attitude that you don't like. And it doesn't belong in the kingdom. But God, it was my job. It was my job to say, let's go through the hard times. Let's get through the temptation. Let's get through the hardship. Let's get through the adversity. Let's get through the affliction. We got to get them to the other side. Because it means something to God. He pointed it out for a reason. He pointed it out with purpose and deliberately whenever he said, you are they which have continued with me in my temptation. All the while, Simon's a little closer to his upper room. All the while, he's a little closer and a little closer and a little closer until finally, as Simon Peter began to write one of his two epistles, he said, we did not preach unto you uh, cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you what is the mystery of the gospel, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He began to see things in a different light. He began to see Christ and the purpose of Christ in a different way than he had saw him before. But there was an attitude here that God said, I have got to rid you of. There is an attitude here that stinks in my sight. God, would you allow my worship to be acceptable? Would you allow the worship of this people to be a sweet-smelling savor? An aroma of praise, let it come up before you, God. It is a thanksgiving that we're giving to you. It is appreciation that we're giving to you. It is a heart filled with an attitude that says, I never deserved it, but you gave it anyway. You loved me when I was unlovable. You cared for me at a time when I couldn't care for myself. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
want to take us to one more attitude. I want to leave Simon Peter. We corrected him. We brought him. I showed you who he was. And we corrected him. We took him through the upper room. We wrote his epistle. I showed you who he was. Now let me hurriedly show you about a man named Moses. This is a beautiful attitude that Moses had. God had chosen him. Elder, you already mentioned already tonight about Moses. And uh, I, I received that as a confirmation in my heart. God brought Moses up. God brought Moses up from being a nobody, showed him that he could be a somebody, brought him back to being a nobody, gave him a job to do. He said, I want you to go, and I want you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Israel had been in Egypt for over 400 years, and now God is adamant about bringing them out. Let me stop and insert this right here. You want to know why God was so emphatic about bringing these people out of Egypt? Let me rewind a little bit if I can. Let me just take you back 400 years. It was a time when famine was in the land, and there was no bread. There was no corn. There was no wheat. There was nothing. It was a famine. And so it is by design that Joseph had been sold by his brethren, been the, uh, been the victim of jealousy and envy and was sold by his brethren because of his dream. The sister even made mention of Joseph uh, in her reading. I too have read that, been reading that the last few days. Um, and here Joseph is, here Joseph is the highest man in the kingdom. Here he is in all the kingdom of Israel Pharaoh didn't know what he had except what he ate. Joseph knew everything else. Isn't that beautiful? How God had elevated him to a place of where he could be an assistance to his brethren. And now his brethren are here. And, and now Joseph wants to see Benjamin. And then he wants to see his dad. Then he wants all of his brethren there. Pharaoh steps up and he says, you know what? I like you well enough. And uh, so whoever your family is will be my family. And whoever your friends are will be my friends. You tell them to come on and I'll give them the whole land of Goshen. I'll give them the whole land of Goshen. I'll give to them the whole land of Goshen. You want to know why God was so adamant about bringing Israel out of Egypt? It's because he put them there. You want to know at times why God will bring us out of our trial kicking and screaming? It's because he took us through that to expose a part of us that doesn't need to be there. Amen. Sometimes we just need to learn how to lean on God. Sometimes there needs to be a famine in our land. Sometimes there needs to be hardship in our home. It's a time when husbands can solidify marriages with their wives and children can look to moms and dads and say, I remember when I was a boy and mama leaned on God and I remember daddy praying and trusting in God. It exposes a part of us that needs to be seen by our children. Now, and now here we are. God is saying, I'm ready to bring you out. I brought you through four centuries. That there's a part of, of my people that's been exposed. There's a part of them that has learned to depend on me. And now I'm going to bring them out. Kicking and screaming and murmuring and complaining and resentful and regretful. 
and only dreaming about the onions and the leeks and the garlics and everything they left in Egypt and complained to Moses, you brought us out here to die. But here God is endeavoring to bring all of these people out. God says to Moses, go and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. He says, I'm not going to let them go. Here comes the lice. Repeat, same scene, act two. Here comes the frogs. Here comes the blood. Here comes the flies. Here comes plague after plague after plague after plague until we get to the ninth plague. And here the plague is going to be a thick darkness. I'm trying to hurry now. Don't lose me. Here is the plague that's going to be a thick darkness, a darkness the Bible said that can be felt. Not only seen, but it's a darkness that can be felt. And so Pharaoh decides, well, I'll try to negotiate one more time. And then Moses says, we're not going to do it that way. And you understand ultimately the darkness came. But here is the negotiation, and I want to read it to you. In the ninth time that Moses goes back to Pharaoh, he tells him in Exodus 10 and 24, Pharaoh called Moses and said, go ye, we can't stand the darkness anymore. Go ye serve the Lord, only let your flocks and herds be stayed. You understand what his negotiating terms are? You can go, but let your flocks and your herds be stayed. Moses said, Thou must give us also sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice unto the Lord our God. Our cattle also shall go with us. There shall not a hoof be left behind. Everything is going to go. You see, in the New Testament, there was something called the blood of Christ. In the Old Testament, that the New Testament spoke of in these terms, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his, or the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean, sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. So in the New Testament, they didn't need the blood of goats and calves, but in the Old Testament, prior to Calvary, that atonement required the blood of a bull or calf or a turtle dove or a he goat or a she goat or a ram, a lamb or something, some animal that God required had to shed its blood and give its life to make atonement. And this is what Moses, this is what a leader is about. If I'm going to be a leader, I need to look over my shoulder every once in a while and see if somebody's following me. That's no new concept to us. But here we find the leader in Moses. Here's where Moses is looking ahead. And he says in verse 26, we will go, our cattle also will go with us. There shall not a hoof be left behind, for thereof must we take to serve the Lord our God. They served him, with the blood of these animals. He said, and we don't know with what we must serve the Lord until we get there. I don't know which one of these animals that I'm going to need because there are sins that this people has yet to commit. Our old will go with us. Our young will go with us. Our wives will go with us. Our sons will go with us. Our daughters will go with us. That just stands to reason. But if you will let me take my loved ones, you would think that it would be okay to leave the goats behind. 
but not Moses. He said, these loved ones that I have, when I take them, I'm going to take their failures. I'm going to take their faults. I'm going to take their insufficiencies. Here's the attitude I'm dealing with tonight. Simon Peter said, I've left it all so that we can get it all. But Moses is saying to Pharaoh, I'm bringing it all so I can give it all. Let, 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 me, get, let, me, get to where I'm, let me get to where I'm going tonight. I, I, I'm closing. If, if I get a piano player, I'm closing. This is where Moses is standing up. And he's saying, Pharaoh, there is no doubt some adultery in the hearts of these people. And when we get to Mount Sinai, I'm going to need a bullock to make atonement for their sin. I'm feeling the Holy Ghost right now. When I get to Sinai, I'm going to need a he-goat to make atonement for their murmuring. I'm going to need something that can justify the failures in their spirit when they begin to complain and murmur in disbelief. You know, we are living in an age, we are living in an age now that uh, it seems like by and large the populace would love to have the Ark of the Covenant before them open the Ark and take out those things that symbolized provision and miracles, Aaron's rod that budded and the golden pot that had the manna. And just like the Philistines did in that day, close the ark back, send it back to Israel, and when they looked in it, there was nothing in it save the two tables of stone. We are living in an era of time to where people do not want the word of God, the commandment of God, the principles of God, the values of God, you mean to tell me a God that saved me, a God that left uh, royalty and a God that left glory and robed himself in humanity is going to be audacious enough to tell me how to live? Close the lid and send it back because we don't want it. I just want his provision. I just want to shout over my healing. But I don't want that word that tells me how to live what to abstain from, what to adhere to. I don't want that. You can send that back. Friend, you have come too late to tell me that I can shave off part of this word because I have lived enough days for God to understand that there are some things that I'm going to encounter. There are some things that will befall upon my life that I'm going to need every verse of every chapter of every book to get through those times. <laughs> oh, glory. My attitude is, God, I'm going to bring it all with me. I know there's others that's chosen to lay it down. They don't view repentance as necessary. They don't view baptism as necessary. And if they do, you can be baptized any old way. They don't even view the Holy Ghost as essential, but God, I'm still clinging to the fact that I read in the Bible that except you have the Spirit of Christ, except you have the Spirit of Christ, you are none of His. I need it all because I'm going to have to have it to get through this life. Uh, 
My wife, my wife's daddy, soft and slow, please. My wife's dad, he got ready to retire a couple of years ago and uh, to get his VA benefits. He took the two-hour trip over to Shreveport from where he lives to have his physical done. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. So they do a very thorough physical on my father-in-law before he gets back home. His cell phone rings. It's the hospital. Mr. Kincaid, you need to come back now. We found things we're not comfortable with, and we'd like to do some more extensive testing. He goes back to the VA hospital. They do the testing, and the results come back. Stage 4 renal cell carcinoma. That's not a good thing to have. So they schedule a surgery, a kidney comes out, renal cells come out, chemo starts to try to take care of the spots. They give him three to five years at best with treatments. Before the diagnosis that was written on the paper is dry, before that ink is dry, her mom has trouble swallowing. She goes, gets testing, and... There's an obstruction in the esophagus where it goes into the stomach. And there's a tumor there, from what I understand, was about the size of a grapefruit. So they cut that out. They cut the esophagus completely out and pulled the stomach up and sewed it to the back of her throat. And again, radiation and chemo. I watched my wife and her two sisters agonize over the future of her mom and dad. I told my wife's dad, I said, Brother Johnny, I want you to know that I am thankful that you held on to this truth and you passed it down to your daughter. She has been a helpmate to me in the ministry. Friend, you don't know with what you will be required to serve the Lord with. Don't ask me to lay down my prayer life because I know by now I'm going to need it. It may be good now, Brother Boyd, but I know it won't be long I'm going to need it. So don't ask me to lay that down. Don't ask me to lay truth down. Don't ask me to lay holiness down. Don't ask me to lay down these things that kept my forefathers. Don't ask me to lay down these things that have kept preachers of generations of yesteryear because I know and I understand that I'm going to need them again. We all have years that are pockmarked with tragedy and sorrow and heartache. And we look back upon that now. And, but at the time, we think, I don't know how I'm going to get through it. But we look back upon those months and those years of our life and we know the hand of God just settled down upon us and gave us the strength and reminded us that in your weakness, I will make you strong. Brother, my attitude in living for God, I'm bringing all of my prayer. I'm bringing all of my fasting. I'm bringing all of my scripture. I'm bringing all of my worship. I'm bringing all of my praise. I'm bringing all of my fellowship. I'm bringing all of my friends. I'm bringing everybody I worship with.
Because, Pastor, I'm going to need them to get through. Would you stand with me? Friend, if you don't have what I'm preaching about tonight, young or old, if you choose not to have it, you choose not to receive it, if you choose not to seek it tonight, it could be tomorrow. You're going to need what you rejected this evening. Saints, would you lift your hands with me? I just want the Holy Ghost to speak to us. Peter, you haven't seen hardship until you come out of your upper room and you begin to preach the gospel of Christ. Until you begin to tell men that this same Jesus that you've crucified is both Lord and Savior. Until you begin to tell men this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. That in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all men. I don't need a ram and a lamb and a turtle dove and a pigeon, but what I do need is that spotless blood that flowed from Calvary. I can't give it up. Don't take the blood out of our song. Don't take the blood out of our message. Don't take the praise out of our assembling. Don't take the anointing out of our preaching because we're going to need it. We're going to need it. Come on, is it anybody that would like to bring it all so they can give it all? You won't run out. You, you won't run out. God didn't give the little widow woman more meal barrels. He just made sure that what she had wouldn't run out. You're not going to run out. Come on, let's give it to him tonight. God, I didn't leave anything comparable to what you've given to me. I didn't walk away from anything that could even remotely close to have value to what you've given to me. What I do, I do because I love him. What I do, I do because there is a satisfaction in my spirit. If there's 10 million other preachers, God, let me be 10 million in one. Hallelujah. Come on, saints of God, let's love him tonight. Let's love him tonight. Let's get more of what we're going to need tomorrow. Let's get more of what we're going to need next week. Hallelujah. I give myself, I give myself, I give myself, I give myself. Come on, let this song be your prayer. Would you do that? 
Let this song be your prayer today. Oh, Lamb of God. God, let us hunger for it. God, let us hunger for it, Jesus. I give myself. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.